Killer. He's Hacker. I like a good serial killer documentary. He hasn't taken the pounding that wide receivers take. Uh, it's just a pound job, and, and guys are tired towards that, that four minutes. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I would be lying to you if I said I had not heard things. They're like a bad rash. You hear a lot of things. Some are true, some aren't. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. We're in for the vacationing Rick Ballou. Glad you're spending part of your Thursday evening with us. With Casey Dobson, who's in tonight for Dillon Denmark. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. As we move along ever so much closer to this offseason really taking shape in the National Football League. Of course, the franchise tag window is currently open. Between now and March the 5th, we will get clarity on the Josh Allen situation, the NFL scouting combine. They will be on the field one week from today in Indianapolis for the scouting combine. And then, of course, NFL free agency now only 17 days away from the NFL start of free agency. So there's a ton to get into tonight. Guest lineup looks like this. At the top of the 7 o'clock hour, my buddy David Steele, long-time play-by-play voice on the television side for the Orlando Magic on Bally Sports. David will join us to talk Orlando and a little NBA as the second half of the NBA season gets underway tonight. And as far as Orlando goes, they're having one of their best seasons in – couple of years, right? They're 30 and 25, firmly in the playoff hunt. Paolo Bancaro was an all-star. Things are looking up for the Orlando Magic. I know when Orlando's good, people here in Jacksonville tend to flock to them a little bit, and that's fine. We welcome you to the bandwagon, and we'll have David Steele, longtime voice of the Magic, coming up at the top of the 7 o'clock hour in less than 20 minutes Luke Easterling of SI and Athlon Sports as we take a look back on the Jaguar collapse, but more so we look at some of the younger Jaguar players and we look at the 2024 NFL draft as Luke Easterling does a great job with the draft coverage on SI and, of course, at Athlon Sports. So we're absolutely jammed. We're with you at 8 o'clock. As always, we are glad you are with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, We do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Casey Dobson. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So I had a big deal of the night, and I'll get to that in a moment. It involves Calvin Ridley. But I've seen on social media in the last couple of hours There's an analytics website that I think actually started today, at least the general manager portion of this analytics website started. It's really interesting because it has pretty much broken down NFL GMs over the years and how they have fared in the NFL draft. So, of course, when I see a link to this and you can search for different NFL GMs, I go right to Trent Baalke. Now, I know most of you... I shouldn't say most. Uh, Actually, yeah, probably is most, come to think of it. Most of you are not fond of Trent Baalke. Uh, I am of the opinion that Baalke has done an adequate job in free agency. 
where he always loses me is the draft, and we're about to have facts to back that up here in one moment. But again, if you kill Balky for the bad draft picks, if you kill Balky for not addressing pass rush, that's all fair. That's all warranted. But in the interest of fairness, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Foyer Lewican, Zay Jones, I mean, the guy has done some good things, right? He has drafting Andre Sisco, drafting Tyson Campbell, Anton Harrison last year. Uh, so you can't obliterate him. All right. He hasn't been a failure, but he hasn't done a great job either. He's certainly, to me, a C plus, maybe a straight C student. But this website goes through all of Trent Balky's draft picks. And if you think back to his time in San Francisco and you add that to the time here in Jacksonville, Trent Baalke has made 98 selections as a general manager in the National Football League. It's a lot of picks, 98 picks that he's made as an NFL GM. A couple of things stand out about these 98 selections. Trent Baalke has almost been right down the middle. He's taken 50 defensive players. He's taken 48 offensive players. Number of pro bowlers drafted by Trent Baalke in the 98 picks he has made as an NFL general manager. Baalke has drafted seven pro bowlers. Seven of the 98 have gone on to make the pro bowl. The only one here in Jacksonville, of course, is Trevor Lawrence. Pretty easy, right? The number one pick in the draft. I think my Boston Terrier at home could have made that pick. Navarro Bowman in San Francisco, Mike Yapati in San Francisco, Alden Smith, Eric Reed, Trent Brown, DeForest Buckner, and Trevor Lawrence. Those are the seven guys that Trent Baalke has drafted out of 98 selections that have made the draft. That means he has drafted about 7% of his draft picks have gone on to make a Pro Bowl. What's also interesting about that is of the seven guys that have made a Pro Bowl that Trent Baalke has drafted, five of them were first-round picks. Trevor Lawrence, DeForest Buckner, Eric Reed, Alden Smith, Mike Yapati. Navarro Bowman was a third-round pick. DeForest, or I'm sorry, uh, Trent Brown was a seventh-round pick. What does this tell us? I, I don't know. I think it tells us probably what we already knew, right? Balky hasn't drafted well. Let's be honest. He hasn't. Uh, I don't give him credit for the draft. I give him credit for free agency. All right, because, again, when you bring in guys like Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram and Zay Jones and Foye Lewican, Rayshon Jenkins to an extent, right? I mean, those are good free agent pickups. He's certainly not failing in that department. But, again, where he loses me is the draft. The drafts have been bad. The drafts have not been good. You look at Trent Baalke's drafts here in Jacksonville, and quite frankly, it leaves a lot to be desired. You know, go back to the first year that he made draft picks. What was that, three years ago? You got guys like, or I'm actually, let's go back to, uh, yeah, three years ago, all right? Because, again, he was the assistant when Dave Caldwell was here destroying this franchise like he was prone to do for many, many years. So Trent Baalke's first year as a draft pick, 2021, first time as the full-time GM. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, home run, home run. Tyson Campbell, good player. 
borderline home run. Walker Little, we thought was good, had trouble seeing the field at times towards the end of this season. Andre Sisco, I like, uh, good player. But then after that, Jay Tefele, Jordan Smith, Luke Farrell, Jalen Camp. Leaves a lot to be desired. You go back to uh, two years ago, the Trayvon Walker draft. Trayvon Walker, I think, is closer to a home run than a bust. Devin Lloyd, verdict is still very much out on him. Luke Fortner, I think most of you are done with Luke Fortner. Chad is a good player. It was a terrible pick. He drafted Chad Muma in the third round after he drafted Devin Lloyd in the first round. Why are you taking two guys that essentially play the same position? We don't know how good or bad Muma is. He can't get on the field because he drafted Devin Lloyd two rounds prior. This is not anti-Chad Muma. That is a bad draft pick by Trent Baalke. Snoop Connor can't get on the active roster. Gregory Jr. has shown spurts. Monteric Brown showed some signs last year. And then last year's draft, quite frankly, was horrific for most part. Anton Harrison looks like he's going to be very good. Brenton Strange and Tank Bigsby better do a lot more in year two. I think Strange committed more holding penalties than he had catches. I think Bigsby might have fumbled the ball more than he had first down carries. Ventrell Miller, you don't know. He got injured in the preseason. Tyler Lacey, all right, he's a guy. He played a little bit. Yasir Abdullah was a healthy scratch like the last two months of the year. I think they found a star in Antonio Johnson, so I'll give Trent Baalke credit for that. Parker Washington, you really don't know yet, although it looks like there's something there. And then Christian Braswell, Eric Howitt, Raymond Vohasic, Derek Parrish, Cooper Hodges. Again, a bunch of unknowns. So, 98 picks for Trent Baalke. Seven Pro Bowlers. The guy just has not had a big range of success. Back to my original big deal of the night. What I was going to start out with was Calvin Ridley. I do want to have a conversation about Calvin Ridley moving forward. Calvin Ridley, and you got to give Balky credit for him, right? Because Balky did make that trade. He brought in a 1,000-yard receiver in Calvin Ridley. I think that you guys, the fans, and quite frankly, some of us in the media and absolutely the people outside of Jacksonville, are a little too harsh on Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley did not play NFL football for 23 months. 23 months. And I think expectations for him coming into 2023 were way too high in retrospect. You don't play a down of football for 23 months. And we expected Calvin Ridley to come in here and be Stephon Diggs, right? We expected Calvin Ridley to come in here and be one of the top 10, dare I say, a top five receiver in the league. Looking back at it, we overshot that a little bit. Our expectations were too high, in my opinion. Calvin Ridley, after 23 months out of the game, was still a 1,000-yard receiver. What did he end up with? Like 75, 80 grabs. He had eight touchdowns. I mean, that's a good year. If you would have told me Calvin Ridley before the year, 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns, 75 grabs, I would have been underwhelmed. But in thinking back on it now, and again, using reality that it was 23 months in between snaps for him, between his time in Atlanta and his time here in Jacksonville, I just think we all have been maybe too harsh on Ridley. 
I don't think he had a bad year. I don't think he had a down year. Did he have some disappointing moments? Yeah, certainly. So maybe some bad routes that caused interceptions? Yeah, I can't deny that. <laughs> but from a statistical standpoint, I'm going to apologize to Calvin Ridley because I've turned the corner there. I've flipped my thought on that. I don't think he was bad. I think eight touchdowns, 1,000 yards for a guy that didn't play football in two years, <coughs> excuse me, he's pretty good. And I hope he comes back. That's certainly one of the big questions. 17 days from now, when NFL free agency begins. Speaking of that, the offseason is in high gear. Combine next week, free agency, two and a half weeks away. Franchise tags can be handed out from now to March 5th. I mean, we're in the midst of it right now. Luke Easterling has done a great job for SI and Athlon Sports. He is their main draft guy. Let's talk to Luke, not only about the draft, but I want to talk about Trayvon Walker. I want to talk about Devin Lloyd. I want to talk about Anton Harrison. I want to talk about some of these Trent Balky draft picks and get Luke Easterling's thoughts on it. The guys covered the draft for years. Terrific job. One of my favorite guys to talk to, and he's next. Hacker After Dark, in for Baloo on a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL, and it's 92.5 FM. 1010XL is presented by Farrah & Farrah, exclusive injury law firm of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Protecting you and your family. Call 396-5555. Jacksonville. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, your home of the Jacksonville Jaguars. The offseason, well, it's really going to take shape very soon. Franchise tags are being handed out between now and March the 5th. Of course, the Combine next week up in Indianapolis, and we are less than three weeks away from NFL free agency. With all that being said, Luke Easterling does a great job for Athlon Sports, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Luke, how you doing? Doing great, Ryan. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, Luke, always appreciate the conversation. All right, the Jaguars. I want to talk about the draft class, some of the younger guys, but just a broad overview, Luke. It's been six-plus weeks now since the collapse, as we're calling it here. The Jaguars only the sixth team since the turn of the century to start eight and three and miss the playoffs. What did you make of what happened here in Duval County over the last month and a half of the year? You know, I think things just snowballed once the injuries started, started really taking hold at, at key positions and, and, you know, nobody wants to make excuses and everybody wants to point to, yeah, everybody gets banged up and everybody's, you know, less than a hundred percent at the end of the year. But I think if you're being honest about where those injuries happened, how serious they were, how many, games some of those guys missed you know you got your quarterback gutting through it and trying to play at less than 100 percent you're you losing key guys for so much of that stretch that I feel like it's not making an excuse to point to that and say hey this is a big reason why that that collapse started to snowball down the down the stretch but you know it, that that's what you have to look to moving forward how do we improve the depth at certain positions to avoid this in the in in, in the future how do we how do we build around the quarterback to keep him healthier? Uh, and, and I think that's what, you know, obviously you saw some coaching moves in the offseason, retooling the defensive staff, uh, and, and hopefully there's there's some improvement there from a scheme perspective on that side of the ball. But, you know, 
this isn't Doug Peterson's first rodeo. Uh, you know, I, I think Jaguars fans should trust that that if they can if they can have a, a solid offseason and fill some of those holes, improve the depth in those areas where those injuries took hold so 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 significantly. Um, I think there's no reason to believe they won't be contending again. The absolutely crazy thing is the Jaguars benefited from the Titans collapse in 2022 to win the division. And literally the same thing happened in the opposite direction to Jacksonville in 2023. Luke, one of the positives though, and there weren't many in the last six weeks, but one of the positives I thought was Trayvon Walker. I thought Trayvon Walker really started to find himself. He ended up with 10 sacks on the year, double digits going from three and a half to 10 from year one to year two. What did you make of Trayvon Walker this past season? Yeah, it's funny. I, you know, if you were to ask me that question without me knowing, you know, your own opinion on that, that's who I would have said, you know, that's what I would have said was the brightest spot down that stretch. And, you know, I, I really think this was, this was the scouting report coming out on him, right? Was, the the physical tools are all there. You've got such a rare combination of size and athleticism and versatility to play inside, to play outside. But you knew it was going to take some time, right? If they if they had wanted a, a, a straight out of the box impact player who's going to you know have a very defined role and and you just do this and you're going to from day one you're going to be that player. They would have taken Aiden Hutchinson, who obviously has been that player in Detroit, and they had the opportunity to take him there. You know, that's not what they went with. They went with the guy who they thought had the, 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 the higher upside because of the athleticism and the versatility with the understanding that it was probably going to take some patience because he was a better athlete than a, a ready-made football player coming out uh, of Georgia. And so you're starting to see that patience pay off, I think. And part of it is on the coaching side, they're figuring out how to move him around and, and use him situationally. When do you leave him outside opposite Josh Allen? When do you slide him inside on those passing downs and try to create those one-on-one matchups with the guards on the inside uh, where his explosiveness can really shine through and he's still big enough to beat those interior guys with power? And I think, you know, the light has started to come on. You saw that over the last few weeks of the season. The production is following that as well. And and you got to think that there's still so much more room for him to grow and that's really what should have Jags fans excited about him moving forward. Luke Eastrowing does a great job covering the NFL and the NFL draft for Athlon Sports. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Quickly, Luke, the other guy drafted in the first round in 2022, Devin Lloyd, did not have the same uh, upward trajectory, I guess, of Trayvon Walker. Do you have concerns about Devin Lloyd moving forward? You know, it, it's a year can make such a huge difference, and and so you're hoping that this off season, that that same that same moment where the light comes on, you're hoping that happens for Devin Lloyd. Obviously, he's playing alongside one of the best linebackers, they were the best off ball linebackers in the game, uh, and you're hoping some of that rubs off. But um, you know, again, the physical tools are there with him. You know, you've, he's got the the size and the athleticism. He's got that great length where he should be able to close down those passing lanes in in, uh, in zone coverage like like a basketball defender would. Um, so it's it's all there. You know, I, I think it's just a matter of him him getting comfortable with the scheme, see what, what happens with the defensive changes with the staff uh, this offseason. Uh, but the talent is still there for Devin Lloyd. You're just kind of waiting again for that moment that we saw from Trayvon Walker where it all starts to click. You know, pick 27 last year, the Jaguars took Anton Harrison out of Oklahoma. And truthfully, Luke, I didn't know very much about him, but I learned pretty quickly the guys out there liked him. Uh, Some people thought he was going to go in the high second, maybe the low first was a little high. But I got to tell you, man, and I'm curious your thoughts, I thought of all the rookie offensive tackles last year, 
Anton Harrison didn't play second fiddle to anybody. I think he was in the conversation to be maybe the best rookie tackle in the league in 2023. I I can't argue with that at all. And again, he's somebody I did a ton of research on because uh, he was a guy that was linked to the Bucks. And I'm down here in the Tampa area. I've been covering the Bucks for a long time. And so I, you know, I, I knew quite a bit about Anton Harrison and nothing he did last year surprised me. This is a guy who you know, everybody wanted to say, oh, he's, you know, he's a little shorter than you want. Maybe he doesn't have the length that you want to tackle. Maybe he'll have to move inside the guard. But what he did have was a ton of starting experience against top talent. He had played left tackle. He had played a little bit of right tackle, I believe. And so you had you had experience, you had the physical tools, and, and the film spoke for itself. You know, if, if you're an inch shorter than you, you, you know, might want to be and your arms are an inch shorter than you want to be, but your film says that you know what you're doing from a technique perspective. You know how to use your physical tools to the best of their ability. Uh, that's what we saw on film from Anton Harrison, and, and that's really what we saw throughout his rookie season. So, again, you're talking about a player who still just scratching the surface of his potential at the next level, but the early returns are already showing that this is an impact player at a premium position. I know in the work you do covering the NFL draft, uh, we're lucky here in Jacksonville that Anton Harrison developed because, good gracious, Brenton Strange and Tank Bigsby, there just wasn't a lot there in rounds two and three. Now, maybe there's room for them to develop, but I- I'm honest. I mean, I think Brenton Strange committed more holding penalties than he had catches, and I think Bigsby might have fumbled the ball more than he had first down runs. I mean, they they got to develop quick, right? Those picks are very questionable right now. Yeah, Bigsby's hurting my dynasty team for sure. That that <laughs> yeah. that, that one yeah. came back to bite me real bad. I, I liked I liked that pick. And again, you know, you never know what a year can do for for these guys. And and uh, you know, Brenton Strange again, a guy that tight ends coming out of Penn State are interesting because they really don't feature them in the in the passing game a whole lot. But you would hope that that means that the the blocking technique would not lead to those types of penalties. So what you do have with Brenton Strange is, is a ton of athleticism. You still have a ton of potential there. You're just hoping he can unlock it at some point. And with Bigsby, man, I, I just feel like he got into a, you know, a, a when it rains, it pours situation where when you when you deal with those those ball security issues so early in your career, it really can snowball mentally. So hopefully he can get a, you know, a refresh this offseason. Um, it was really disappointing because his preseason was so strong. Remember, I mean, he, he really, really played well. In, in the action he saw in the preseason games. And, and I think that's what led a lot of people like me in those fantasy leagues to be like, man, this kid's going to be a stud. Um, but again, hopefully he can just clear, clear out that rookie season, figure out maybe if there's some technique things. And again, that's on the coaching staff as well to kind of help him cure what, what ails him with some of the ball security issues. But hopefully, you know, you still see a guy who can run well between the tackles. He's got good vision and patience. And hopefully if he can just hang on to the ball, um, he can be a different player. Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports. Yeah, that's my concern. Talking to people at Auburn last year, they love everything about Bigsby. Great locker room guy, good goal line back. But they caught, they said he was a fumbler. And he comes to Jacksonville, and what happens? He fumbles. So that is something that he has got to get corrected. Luke, final thought before we look ahead to the 24 draft class. Jaguars, I think, found something in Antonio Johnson. I remember last year, Antonio Johnson out of A&M was in, like, second round and third round mocks leading up to the draft. And for some reason, he fell into round five, and the Jaguars snatched him. And I remember thinking, wow, that, why did he fall? He just shows up to training camp, and the guy is enormous. I mean, I don't know if he's Cam Chancellor, but he's not far from the dynamics of that, uh, particularly when he gets in an NFL weight room for a couple of years. And I think right now the plan is to cut Rayshon Jenkins and have Antonio Johnson slide in there as a starting safety this upcoming year. I don't know why Johnson lasted around five, but for the Jaguars' sake, I'm happy that he did. 
Yeah, your guess is as good as mine. I'd have to go back and look at my board, but I, I know I had him really, really high. I know he was a top 100 guy for me. Um, may have been close to the to the 50s. I, I can't remember, but man, I, I was he was a guy I was definitely comfortable with on day two. Uh, so to get him in the fifth, I was I was shocked uh, to see him fall that far. And you really didn't have a reason. There was you know there wasn't like some big because a lot of times we'll find out after the fact, right? We'll find out the next day after the drive, like oh he had a medical thing pop up or you know he had this you know, surgery that maybe everybody wasn't aware of, or this is some chronic issue or some, you know, something pops up sometimes with these guys that are, that fall so far and, and, and we're kind of surprised in the moment, but there's always a reason with him. I didn't see anything. I, I didn't understand why it happened. And then the way he played last year, it made all of us who, who had him uh, ranked a lot higher uh, made sense to us. Cause that's what, that's the player we saw on film back at Texas A&M. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like the Jaguars have, have nailed it. They've got a gem. He's got the versatility, too. He can line up in the slot and play nickel. He can play deep. So uh, definitely a, a home run pick there in, in the later rounds for the Jags last year. Final moments, Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports. All right, Luke, the 2024 draft class. I know you're putting mock drafts out like every day. I think you do a four-round mock uh, every Wednesday, as a matter of fact. So I think you probably did one earlier today. Uh, in totality. Strong draft class, weak draft class. How would you assess it as a whole? I think it's it's pretty strong up top. I, I think the first three rounds, maybe even in the fourth round, are really solid. And I I just think there's going to be a big drop off after that because you've got you've got this weird, you know, you got an opportunity for a deep class because you got so many of these super seniors, right? That that, that took advantage of that extra COVID year of eligibility. You got a lot of 23, 24 year old guys that are coming out you know, a little older than you're used to drafting guys, but also with a lot more experience. And so that could strengthen it, but you also had so many fewer underclassmen declare this year. I think we've been, we've been over a hundred for, for a while now, every year we have over a hundred underclassmen declare. I think we had 54 this year uh, or something like that. So, you know, NIL is obviously having a big impact on that guys are able to make money at the college level. Um, and if it's, you know, comparable to maybe what you would get on a late round contract, you maybe want to wait and, and, and improve your draft stock with another season at the college level. But I think overall it's strong and it's it's so strong at very specific positions that I think are very important. This receiver class might be the best receiver class I've ever seen in 25-ish years of doing this uh, type of work. I think the offensive tackle class is extremely strong up at the top, especially even the interior offensive line guys, which obviously will be music to the ears of Jaguars fans. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think overall a strong draft class, you got three elite quarterback prospects at the top. You got a solid second tier of quarterback prospects that the running back class doesn't have the top heaviness of last year's, but I think there's maybe 10 or 12 guys that'll go in the middle rounds that I think could be starting caliber running backs. I like the corner class. Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think there's some talented edge guys in this class, the interior defensive lineman doesn't have like an elite prospect at the top, but again, really good depth there in the, in the second, third round range. You know, and you just brought it up, again, Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports. The Jaguars, and we'll see what happens, Luke, in free agency. Free agency could change this narrative. But, man, right now, they need some big uglies. All right, I need some 300-plus pounders on both sides of the ball. They got pushed around in Week 18 against Tennessee with their season on the line. They had no answer for the Titans' O-line or D-line, which is pretty embarrassing because the Titans' offensive line sucked yeah. the entire year until <laughs> Week 18. So, and, and the, the one guy, and I don't know why this has happened, Jackson Powers Johnson is like the most popular name in Jacksonville, Florida. And, and I don't know why a center from Oregon is the most popular name. That's all anybody's talking about because they're desperately trying to replace Luke Fortner 
What is your thought on Jackson Powers Johnson, and could he be an option for Jacksonville at 17? I mean, I, I think he's a stud. I think he absolutely, absolutely should be in that conversation at 17. And, again, if they do want to move on from Fortner, um, he's the guy. He's he's the top center in this draft. I think he's worthy of a first-round pick. I think 17 is, is probably that range where you're going to have to start thinking about him anyway because look in the 20s. You've got Pittsburgh. You've got Miami. Uh, you got Tampa Bay. You've got some teams that that need that guy as well, and would be trying to move into that range to maybe get ahead of some of those other teams. Uh, so if if you want him and he's there at 17, that's where you're going to have to take him. Um, the other guy I would say, if they wanted to go guard instead of tackle or instead of center, uh, Troy Faltanu from uh, from Washington, another West Coast guy from the Pac-12. Um, but he played left tackle for the Huskies. I think he's a guard at the next level, and I think he's going to be a really, really good one. Uh, so, again, whether they want to go center or guard, they're in a really nice spot there at 17. Whether they want to go all offensive line, whether they want to go corner, they want to go receiver, like I said, a really deep class there. Um, an edge guy could slip if they want to go edge, depending on what happens with Josh Allen long term. So I think the Jaguars are really nicely placed for where this board is going to fall at those positions of need uh, that they should be able to come away really, really happy in the first round. Luke, as we wrap up, I know you've been doing mock drafts for months now, and it'll obviously continue as we get closer to the draft. What are you normally mocking or who are you normally mocking to the Jags and say rounds one and two? You know, again, every every exercise is different, but they, consistently for me, the the position that gives them the best balance of need and value is, is corner. And, and I think that I don't know how early we're going to start to see corners come off the board. And I like I really like the first four or five guys in that class. So re- regardless of when that run starts, I feel like it's 17. There's there's quite a few guys. Terry on Arnold from Alabama, Kool-Aid uh, McKinstry, obviously the other Alabama guy is going to be in that conversation. But Quinn. Quinion Mitchell from Toledo is a guy that I, I don't think a lot of people know about. Um, obviously coming out of the Mac, but just incredible film against Mac competition. Then he went to the Senior Bowl and was dominant all week against receivers from every Power Five uh, program. Had a had a huge production. Had a lot of interceptions, a lot of pass breakups at, at the college level. Uh, and again, the physical tools. I think he'll show off at the combine as well. He's the guy that tends to be the the most consistent name that I like to fit there. Again, the, the Darius Williams is 30 years old. You've got a stud on one side who's still young and Tyson Campbell. I think they need another impact corner on the outside, on the other side. And that seems to be the best match in most of these mocks that I do. Luke, great stuff, man. Tell the good folks here in Jacksonville about your work with Athlon Sports and where they can find you, your mock drafts, all that information. Yeah, so you can head over to athlonsports.com. I also run the NFL draft site for uh, Sports Illustrated, so si.com slash NFL slash draft. Uh, I write some mocks for uh, and do some content for SI as well. Um, so I've got a four-round mock draft that came out about an hour ago uh, over on the SI site. So definitely go check that out. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Easterling. Uh, and then anybody who who ri- reads our, if you're like me, since I was a kid, I read the Athlon NFL Draft Preview magazine every year. Uh, and uh, this year, I was I was honored to to be able to do quite a bit of work on this year's edition. So that'll be coming out here. I know you can order it on our website already. Uh, but it'll be hitting newsstands here at the end of the month. So go out and go out and pick that up. It's, it's still nice to have a, a book in your hand, a physical copy to read. Uh, and we're, we're really proud of the work we put into this year's. No, that's absolutely terrific. Again, Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports and SI. Luke, thank you so much for the time, man. I know how busy you are. Maybe let's do it again after free agency. We'll see where the dust settles and where the Jaguars stand at that point. Really appreciate it, my friend. Absolutely. It's a great time, Ryan. Anytime. There you go, Luke Easterling here with us on Hacker After Dark. Always enjoy the conversation with him. And that's a name 
Quinion Mitchell is a name that you're seeing more and more. And I think you're seeing him and some other corners here to Jacksonville more and more after Ryan Nielsen, the new defensive coordinator, had that press conference last week. And a lot of people left that press conference listening to what he said, saying, all right, they could definitely go corner in round one. What's complicated about that is this. Tyson Campbell is obviously in the fold. What do you do with Darius Williams? You could save $11 million if you cut Darius Williams. But if you do that, you got to find somebody to replace him. Trey Herndon's a free agent. I don't think you would feel good about Trey Herndon being a starter anyway. Um, they like the young guys, but again, it's Monteric Brown, Gregory Jr. Are they starting corners in the NFL? And on the flip side, if you choose to keep Darius Williams at that salary, I doubt who you draft is going to knock him off the field. You're paying him too much. So it's an interesting dynamic. You kind of have the same deal at offensive tackle. The Jaguars are right now $11 million under the cap. If they cut Cam Robinson and Darius Williams, they go from $11 million to $39 million under the cap. You would save $28 million bucks just by cutting Robinson and Williams, but again, the problem is you have to have guys that are replacing them. I think with Cam, it might be <clears throat> easier, perhaps, Anton Harrison, if you move him to the left side, or what do you do with Walker Little? But the more people I talk to, I thought Cam Robinson was going to get cut when the season ended. But the more people I've talked to in the last six or so weeks, the more I believe that Cam Robinson might be back here at that salary number. Uh, the offensive line was clearly better when Cam Robinson was there. There's going to be a lot of overhaul in the interior of that offensive line. I think the idea is potentially you're solid at tackle with Robinson and Harrison. You just got to figure out the middle three. Potentially Ezra Cleveland is going to be involved there. He's a free agent. You got to figure that out. I think you got to find a new starting center. And I think Brandon Sheriff at his age and his salary number may be a cap casualty. But we'll see. And the beautiful thing about it, we're going to start getting clarity on this stuff probably within the next two weeks. We're going to start knowing guys that are getting cut, guys that are getting re-signed, leading into Monday, March the 11th which is the uh, legal tampering period, as they call it, for NFL free agency. And, of course, Penn can meet paper when the league calendar starts on Wednesday, March the 13th. With Casey Dobson, who's in for Dillon Denmark, I'm the Hacker Ryan Green. We're glad you're with us. Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We're in for Baloo here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. Coming up next, we're going to switch gears to the hardwood. I want to talk about Florida a little bit. I want to talk a little NBA as well. David Steele, the longtime voice of the Orlando Magic, joins us in less than 20 minutes as Orlando tips their second half off tonight. They're five games over 500. They're going to make the playoffs. A lot of good stuff going on in the NBA. I know that the NFL's over now. Some of you are going to start looking at the NBA a little more. Better get there quick. Most NBA teams only have about 25 to 27 regular season games left. The NBA playoffs actually begin in less than two months. Hacker After Dark rolls on on a Thursday here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. 
10 minutes before the 7 o'clock hour. We're in for Rick Ballou tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, my buddy David Steele, longtime television voice of the Orlando Magic. Some of you Gator fans will remember David as the voice of Florida prior to Mick Hubert taking over. David actually left that post in 1989 to become the voice of the Orlando Magic. He's been with the Magic as long as they've been in existence, three and a half plus decades. So we'll talk to David Steele about Orlando and about some other NBA issues coming up as the second half of the NBA season gets underway tonight. More on the NBA in a moment. I did want to talk about last night briefly. Um, Florida lost to Alabama in overtime. That stings. But I got to tell you, man, watching that game last night, the job Todd Golden has done between last year and even the first part of this year and what I saw last night is an unbelievable job. Keep in mind what Florida has done in the last three weeks. They go into Rupp Arena and knock off Kentucky in overtime. They absolutely destroy Auburn and Bruce Pearl, a top 10, top 15 program. And they go on the road to Tuscaloosa to number 13-ranked Alabama in an unbelievably hostile environment and probably should have won the game. They lost it. They were up 10 in the second half. Give Alabama credit. Alabama came back and beat them. But Florida absolutely deserved to be on that floor last night with Alabama. Those are the three best teams in the SEC other than Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, and Kentucky. And Florida has been right there with all three of them. Now, Florida got boat raced by Tennessee earlier this year. They don't play them again in the regular season. Potentially, they see them in the SEC tournament. South Carolina will be an interesting game. South Carolina, much like Florida, maybe one of the surprises of the conference this year. But Florida's going to make the NCAA tournament, barring a disaster. And I agree with what Frangie was saying earlier. If you're a one seed or or a two seed, would you want to see Florida potentially in round two based on what you've seen the last three weeks? Florida doesn't have a bad loss. Mark Wise told me this last night when I had him on. There were only six teams in college basketball that do not have what you would consider a bad loss. All Every team, 340-some-odd teams, have either a quad two, quad three, or quad four loss, which is a loss to a team outside the top 50, which is pretty shocking when you think about that. The six teams that don't include UConn, include Purdue, who are, by the way, in the top two or three in America, Auburn's on that list, and Florida is on that list. They've lost eight games. All eight games they've lost have been to teams that are in the top 50 in America. Now, you're going to have to win some of those games, all right? If you want to go deep into the postseason, obviously you're going to play good teams, and you're going to have to figure out a way to win some of these close games against some of these good teams. But to Florida's credit, they are considerably better than they were last year under Todd Golden, and they are actually considerably better than they were probably six weeks ago. So I'm very curious to see what happens. Florida has two very winnable games now. Vanderbilt at home, Missouri at home. Those are the two worst teams 
in the SEC. You win both of those games, you get to 20 wins, 10 wins in the conference, and then you're almost a shoo-in at that point to make the NCAA tournament. But Florida's got bigger aspirations. I'm sure they don't not only want to get in, they want to get better seeding, which they could potentially do if they beat Alabama later on this season. They got an opportunity against South Carolina, and then obviously whatever transpires in the SEC tournament. The SEC tournament's going to be nuts. It's the best basketball conference in college basketball right now. Lenardi on ESPN.com, Bracketology, has nine SEC teams in. Nine. It's an absolutely huge number. From college basketball to the NBA, second half of the year begins tonight. The Orlando Magic, the team closest to us. I'm a diehard. I love it. They're finally good again. If you're looking to get into the NBA, I think there's a lot of parallels between Orlando and Jacksonville. We think there's hope here with Trevor Lawrence. Orlando believes there's hope with Paolo Bancaro, who's now an all-star, and Franz Wagner. They're five games over 500. They're going to make the playoffs. Let's talk to David Steele, longtime television voice of the Orlando Magic. He joins us next. It is a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida with Casey Dobson. The Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NBA All-Star break in the rearview mirror. They're going to fire things up for the second half of the NBA season beginning Thursday night. And with that, the Orlando Magic find themselves in, well, quite frankly, some unfamiliar territory right in the thick of the Eastern Conference playoff race. Paolo Bancaro fresh off an all-star game appearance, and Orlando will take on Cleveland on Thursday as the Magic are 30-25, and 25, five games over 500. With that, David Steele is the longtime voice of the Orlando Magic for Bally Sports, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. David, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. How are you? David, I'm fantastic, and I would imagine you are as well. How much fun has this been for you? For me, it's been a blast watching this young team come together, finally get fully healthy. And man alive, David, about a month outside of the All-Star break, this team really started playing very well. It has been a fun team to cover. Uh, I think it's one of the more entertaining teams to watch in the NBA uh, because you got some great storylines going. You've got uh, second-year player Bancaro, who was the rookie of the year, makes the all-star team his second season. Franz Wagner just keeps getting better and better. Um, really talented young player. Um, the Wagner brothers, I mean, Mo is sort of must-see NBA TV as well, the way, the way that he plays the game. Joe Ingles has been a nice addition uh, in free agency in the offseason. And, you know, it's a deep basketball team when healthy. You've got Jonathan Isaac one of the premier defensive players in the NBA, and he's had a relatively healthy season. So it all adds up to a, a very good year. David, I'm curious, and I've, I want to break down Bancaro, certainly in Wagner, but big picture, you just alluded to it. A guy like me that's a diehard fan of the Magic, I make no bones about that. I love Orlando. My uncle took me to a game in 1989, and I've loved them ever since. 
but it's been tough being a fan, right? I mean, loss after loss after loss, year after year after year. You've lived it at half court every game watching this team. And, and, and granted, the fruits of those losses are now we are witnessing with all these wins, with all these young players, but it has certainly been tough. And I imagine a year like this has maybe been more enjoyable for you than, than many, many others. Yeah, you're right. Uh, since Dwight Howard's departure in, what, 2012, um, there were a lot of lean years, to say the least. And, and the two years that uh, we were a playoff team, um, you know, those were good basketball teams, but you didn't feel like that they were they had a ceiling that was really going to be something exceptional. They kind of topped out at what they did. And one of those two years was uh, the COVID year, the, the bubble playoff year. And, you know, that was not a lot of, not a lot of fun uh, for anybody that, that worked in the NBA and, and tried to make, you know, that thing happen in such a difficult situation. So, yeah, I mean, it's, this has been the most entertaining, the most fun that I've had broadcasting games, probably uh, again, since Dwight Howard departed, he, even his last year was, you know, it was suboptimal because of the drama that was going on. And um, he finished the year injured um, and didn't play in, in the postseason. So, yeah, it's been a long time. This has been a lot of fun. David Steele of Bowie Sports. David, let's talk about Paolo Bancaro. You've seen them all come through Orlando, all the great young players from Shaq to Penny Hardaway, Dwight Howard. I mean, you name it. Paolo Bancaro's in the conversation. He was an all-star in just his second year. He's obviously the face of the franchise. How would you assess Paolo from where he was this time last year to where he is right now? Well, I think the numbers tell you uh, a lot, and, you know, the, the eye test tells you a lot, but if you just look at the stat sheet, it's pretty obvious. He, he's he's shooting the ball better. He's more efficient. His three-point percentage is up uh, close to, uh, if not right at, the league average of about 36%. Um, his assists are really on the on the rise, which indicates that, you know, he's got a good feel for the game where his teammates are. We saw that in the All-Star game the other night. I, I thought he was the most unselfish player on the floor in the All-Star game. It, it seemed like he was always looking to find the right guy to pass the ball to, even even when there, there wasn't a lot of defense being played. So I just think he's taken his game to another level, really in every aspect of the game. David, I think there are a lot of parallels between Jacksonville and Orlando. Passionate fan bases, maybe don't get the credit they deserve have been rooting for franchises that, quite frankly, have not been very good, but there's hope. Here in Jacksonville, it's Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, in Orlando, it appears to be Paolo Bancaro. Trevor could run for mayor here and probably win. People <laughs> love him and people defend him even in the bad times. What is the relationship between the city of Orlando and Paolo Bancaro? Oh, I think it's, it's really strong. Um, uh, he is very, very popular. He's got a fan base that continues to grow and you're right about uh, Orlando NBA fans uh, they're there um, they, they'll be really all out uh, with a, a successful team we saw it in the postseason year back in what was it 19 when the team won a game in Toronto I mean uh, the city was was really on fire about that team and uh, again you know I just talked about it a minute ago that team really had no chance of, of, of having great success so, yeah, I think Bancaro has has lifted the franchise to another level. Um, I would put him on par with what I call uh, the Mount Rushmore of Magic Basketball, and that's Shaq and Penny. 
um, Tracy McGrady and Dwight Howard. And we had all four of those guys really early in their careers when they were very young, 18, 19, 20, 21 year old players. And Bancaro is right there with those guys. He, he's that good. He's on that level and he could surpass every one of them. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he becomes one of the all time greats. David, you and I have talked about Nick Vucevic in the past. I love Vuce. He's one of my all-time favorite Orlando basketball players, but it was time for him to move on. And in that trade with Chicago, Orlando got back Wendell Carter Jr., who has been sensational when he's been healthy. There have been some issues there, but when he's on the court, he's been great. And they got a first-round draft pick, and that first-round draft pick was spent on a guy named Franz Wagner. And truthfully, I didn't know much about him. I didn't watch a lot of Michigan basketball the year he was up there. But Franz Wagner, to me, will join Paolo Bancaro maybe as early as next year as an all-star. If he didn't get hurt this year, I think there was a great argument for him. As great as Paolo is, and he's very, very good, boy, Franz Wagner is every bit the same player. And that one-two combo, David, has Magic fans very, very excited for years to come. Yeah, they, they, they mix well. They blend well together, too. You know, pa- Paolo, is, he, he's got the power and the athleticism, and Franz sort of the finesse um, finds a way to get to the basket. Great ball handler, good vision. Um, both of them have great size at 6'10". And, I, you know, I, the, the numbers don't say this, but I think Franz has been uh, and probably is a better outside shooter than Paolo, but, uh, but they're both going to be very, very capable um, long-range shooters. So I, I agree. I think Franz is going to make multiple all-star teams. And it depends on how good the team is because, you know, if you're uh, if you're 500, several games above 500, um, you're, you have one, one guy on the ball club that could be an all-star and all-NBA. So you've got to really be a, a 50 to 60 win regular season team and a team that gets at least out of the first round in the postseason before you can realistically have a couple of all-stars and a couple of all-NBA players. I think they're both going to be good enough, and if the team continues to excel and has more success, then I think you'll see both of them get honored. There was a lot of talk coming into the year, David. I think you and I even talked about it in the preseason, how the guard rotation was going to work. Now, for a first part of the year, Markel Fultz missed time, so it was a little bit easier, but as Fultz has come back, with Jalen Suggs, with Cole Anthony. Boy, I really like what they have in that backcourt. And for the life of me, I don't really understand people that said they needed to get a point guard at the deadline. I think they're fine at point guard, particularly now. Cole Anthony has embraced his role as kind of a sixth man coming off the bench. Jalen Suggs is playing the best basketball of his career. And Markel Fultz has been very good since he's been back from injury I'm interested in your thoughts because I think that guard lineup has been very, very solid. Well, it is, and, and it's um, outside of Cole. Cole doesn't have great size, but, you know, you're talking about Markell and Jalen. You're, you're, you're looking at a couple of guys that um, they're strong, they're long, they're athletic, 6'5", 6'4", 6'5", lead guards. And so defensively, you've got some things you can do with those guys as well. And you know, Markel, he just has that knack for, as Jeff Turner says, um, making the right play at the right time, what you need when you need it. And that's what he gives you. He, he certainly is not uh, a great outside shooter. That's not his thing, but he makes his teammates better. And Suggs has become one of the better defensive players at that position in the NBA. So I, I agree. I think it's a 
winning a backcourt combination. And what we've seen lately is a finishing lineup with Suggs at the lead guard and then Franz Wagner, Paolo Bancaro, Jonathan Isaac, and Wendell Carter Jr. on the floor. That's a huge lineup. It's a great defensive lineup, and uh, I think you'll see more of that as, as the season goes down too. A couple of more for David Steele. You get him with Jeff Turner, Dante Marcatelli, and the great crew there at Bally Sports covering the Orlando Magic. David, you got to feel good for Jonathan Isaac. Admittedly, there was a lot of frustration. Nobody was more frustrated than Isaac missing all those games and all that time. It just seemed like it was not going to work. And knock on wood, and I'm knocking on wood here, David, but so far this year, it's been pretty good. And he's now even playing in back-to-back games sometimes. And, and he looks as healthy now as clearly he's been maybe since he entered the NBA. Yeah, you know, I'm holding my breath less often than I did when the season started when he, you know, takes a hard fall or there's serious contact above the rim and he goes down. Um, yeah, he's taken quite a pounding this year, and he's come through all of it. He has not really missed a game due to any kind of a significant injury. Um, I think he had a sprained ankle and uh, was very uh, cautious about coming back too soon, missed five or six games. Other than that, the only games he's missed is when the team and Jonathan have decided that uh, maybe on the second night of a back-to-back or a difficult travel situation, they would just be very cautious with him. So it is. It's it's great. He's such a great young man, character-wise. Um, his teammates uh, love him. They they know how great he is defensively, and I think they understand that uh, to go as far as they want to go, they need a healthy Jonathan Isaac in the in the postseason. And uh, I just hope he can get there healthy. I hope he can give us a great postseason run this year. It reminds me a little of Grant Hill's situation when he had like two and a half seasons of just could not get his ankle right. He had multiple surgeries on an ankle. And, um, uh, you know, when he was able to play, the Magic were a different team. Jonathan the same way. And so I just hope he can he can stay healthy the, for his sake and for the team's sake. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned the depth, you know, and obviously maybe I have my Magic blinders on here. But, David, they could go 10, 11 deep every night with guys that you feel good about. We haven't even mentioned Gary Harris. We haven't even mentioned rookie Anthony Black. You you brought up briefly Joe Ingles. I mean, uh, Bataze, who was in for Wendell Carter earlier in the year at the center when, when Wendell was banged up. I mean, this is a deep Orlando Magic basketball club. Yeah, I think the um, to back that up, uh, Anthony Black, who you mentioned, a, a 20-year-old rookie, and Bataze. They started the year at the end of the bench getting zero minutes. Um, when injuries hit, they both moved into the starting lineup, and the team continued to play good basketball and get plenty of, of victories along the way. And now that the team is healthy again, Black and Bataze are both back at the end of the bench, and they're not in the uh, the normal rotation. So, you know, I think that that's a good indication of, of what you're talking about. It's a deep team. Um, I think Mosley has confidence. I know he does, and every player to plug him in there and and know that they'll they'll be in the right place at the right time. And you know that's a testament to the coaches too. They've uh, they put a system together. They have a way to play. Um, they understand what their roles are. Every player, and uh, so that that's when you have a chance to have a special team. Final moments with David Steele of Bally Sports. David, the exciting thing for us is 30 and 25, five games over 500, 
But it could have been so much better. I mean, they've lost some heartbreakers. And I guess with a young team that's used to losing, you got to get used to winning, finding ways to win in the fourth quarter. Admittedly, some games have gotten away from them, but it looks like, as you mentioned, that lineup they're putting in at the end of games now, they're starting to close out some of these close games. And seemingly every game they've had as of late has been a nail-biter in the fourth quarter. Well, they're, they're such a young team, and you do have to go through that. You know, there are a number of games that the team could have won, um, 50-50 games that went down to the, to the wire, especially earlier in the year. But I think that's just part of the process, and those types of situations will just serve uh, to benefit the, the team down the road. Um, you, you have to go through that, the bitterness of defeat, understanding what you have to do to win a close game in the NBA. It's tough to win, tough league. Uh, there are a lot of good teams, a lot of great players. And uh, you know, I think you'll see the last 27 games of the season, the team uh, be very focused. Um, I, I know they're united in their quest to make the postseason. I think they're going to make a real strong run down the stretch. As we wrap up, David, obviously there's a lot of work to do, and, and they've only won 30 games. There would be in the play-in tournament, I believe, if it started today. So it could certainly get a lot better. But it is as good as it's been in the last four years. Is there any, I mean, vindication may not be the right word, but you're in that building all the time. A lot of people were down on this franchise. It's not working, the rebuild. Well, now all of a sudden it is working. Is there a, I, mean, I guess vindication might be the right word, around that organization that, see, we told you so, we had to trust the process? Um, I don't really get that sense from the the, the top of uh, basketball operations. I, I think that they've, I don't think they ever doubted that what they were trying to do was going to be successful. Um, you just have to hit on their, you know, you have to be a little lucky. You have to be right. I mean, you know, Paolo was not certainly a clear cut pick for number one. It surprised a lot of people. I think probably that, that pick surprised more people than expected it. So you nailed that one. Um, Jalen Suggs looks like a solid pick at number five in that draft. And of course, Franz Wagner, you know, at number eight in his in that same draft with Suggs, looks like a home run. So, you now that's what it takes. You you have to be a little bit lucky, put yourself in a position, and then when you're when you're able to have a couple of really talented all-star caliber young players, then you can start to piece the rest of the ball club around them. And you know that's what Joe Ingles was, a very under the radar addition, but he's impacted winning in a big way in his 18 to 20 minutes off the bench. He's a great leader in the locker room. So, you know, that's just a small example of what you can do when you have pieces around that you can put players around, and, and Ingles is a good role player, the, the kind of guy that you're going to be adding. And I tell people all the time, David, as we say goodbye, we welcome bandwagon fans, whatever you want to call them. I've had more people in the last month or two come up to me to talk Orlando Magic basketball here in Jacksonville than I have in five or six years. I mean, the bandwagon's open. You're more than uh, welcome to hop on board. And you do get that sense that outside of Orlando, Daytona, Tampa, even up here in Jacksonville, with this young team in Orlando, that things could take off here for them regionally with the fan base. Yeah, I think so, too. Up and down the I-4 corridor and then up uh, I-95 to Jacksonville. It's, uh, you know, it's not that far to get down and catch a game. And uh, there's some great ones still to come this season. I think we have an eight-game homestand in March coming up. So, 
uh, maybe we can encourage uh, some of our Jacksonville fans to make a trip down there and watch the team play. I don't know if you saw it. We had a great night with Shaq's jersey retirement, and I think that generated a lot of interest, too, you know, kind of reminiscing about the history of the franchise because, like you said, Ryan, there have been some lean years, and sometimes it's easy to forget the colorful history of uh, the Orlando Magic franchise, uh, those early years with Shaq and Penny and the uh, the run to the finals in 95 and Tracy McGrady and uh, the heart and hustle team of the late 90s, Dwight Howard and that group with Turkaloo and Lewis and Jameer Nelson. It's a, it's a franchise in 35 years with a pretty rich history, and I think new chapters, uh, exciting chapters are being written right now. You get David Steele on Bally Sports, Dante Marcatelli, Jeff Turner, the entire crew there. They do an outstanding job. I love the Is This Anything, David. That is absolutely fantastic. It's something I look forward to every night on your broadcast. Keep up the great work, my friend. Hopefully you and I can have a conversation heading into the playoffs, and Orlando will be a part of those festivities. Thank you as always. Thanks, Ryan. I look forward to that too. Take care. Hacker. After Dark on 1010XL. Always enjoy the conversation with David Steele. I grew up watching that man on Breakfast with the Gators on Sunshine Network. He's been the longtime play-by-play voice of the Orlando Magic. Always a, uh, quite frankly, a thrill for me. It's not every day you get to talk to a guy you grew up watching and listening to. So I've always told David that, and we certainly appreciate him taking time out for us here on Hacker After Dark. Ben Arthur, Fox Sports and FoxSports.com. He covers the AFC South. That's all he does. He's not a beat writer for any particular team. He doesn't cover the NFL nationally. His focus is the four teams in the division. Jacksonville, Houston, Indianapolis, and Tennessee. He comes up in less than 15 minutes. Here's the thing about the AFC South, too. All really compelling storylines going into the offseason. Houston will be the overwhelming favorite as the defending champion. And yeah, I know that irks you still a little bit to hear that. But as the defending champion, can they learn from Jacksonville's mistakes and live up to the expectation? Indianapolis, they have Anthony Richardson coming back. How will they look? They went 9-8 and eight without Anthony Richardson. How will they look with him? Tennessee? Brand new coaching staff, Brian Callahan, in for Mike Vrabel. Will Derrick Henry return? How will all that work? And then as far as right here in Jacksonville, after the collapse, where, where do you go from here? Are you the favorite in the AFC South anymore? Probably not. It's probably Houston. You got a new defensive coordinator in Ryan Nielsen, who's in for the fired Mike Caldwell. So every team in the division has a storyline, Tennessee has a basically a billion dollars to spend in free agency. They're like Jacksonville was two years ago. I think they have upwards of 67, 68 million to spend in free agency if they so choose. They're going to be very active. Houston reportedly has been linked to maybe even Saquon Barkley as they want to upgrade the running back position. As we mentioned, Anthony Richardson back in the fold in Indy. Indy appears that they're going to franchise Michael Pittman Jr. as well and not let him hit the market. So there's a lot to discuss when it comes to the AFC South, and let's do that with Ben Arthur of FoxSports.com and the Fox Sports app. He is coming up next. It is a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida. It's Hacker After Dark in for Baloo 
with Casey Dobson, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Let's talk AFC South next here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NFL offseason getting into high gear. Franchise tag time between the beginning of this week and March the 5th is when the franchise tag can be handed out. Of course, the NFL scouting combine next week up in Indianapolis. And we are now inside of three weeks away until the start of NFL free agency. There is a lot to get into with that. My buddy Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com and the Fox Sports app. He does a terrific job covering the AFC South, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Ben, how you doing? Doing well, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Hey, Ben, always appreciate it. The last time you and I talked, the Jaguars were going to Nashville. It was a win-and-get-in scenario. And they went up there and got flat-out embarrassed on the lines of scrimmage. Tennessee did whatever they wanted on the O-line and the D-line. And Derrick Henry ran for a billion yards, and Jacksonville's season came to an end. Ben, it's one of the biggest collapses, maybe the biggest collapse in franchise history. You've had about six weeks now since the season ended. Go back to the Jaguars losing five out of six, man. What are your thoughts now? Yeah, I I think – going I'm, I'm, I've, I've thought about like just probably going into this past season that the Jaguars were probably feeling themselves a, a, a little bit too much right and, and I know Trevor uh, has kind of spoken uh, about that um, kind of in in his own way but but I think um, j- just overall, and not just like the, the team, but but I think from a front office standpoint, from a, a personnel standpoint, the way they approached going into 2023, I-, I think they rested on their morals a little bit too much. I mean, we've talked about how maybe Trent Balky wasn't as aggressive as they needed to be. We know that they had this slow start to the year, that they started to maybe pick it up a little bit midseason, but then just kind of falling apart as this, uh, as they, they kind of entered the, the second half of the year, and of course, injuries played a role, right? Like Trevor was really banged up, multiple injuries, the wide receiver injuries, the O-line issues. There are a lot of things going on, but but I, I think ultimately um, the, the Jaguars didn't really play with the same edge that they did in, in 2022. Like I was in the post game locker room for the Jags after the the Tennessee game and and I remember Josh Allen speaking about uh how in 2022 right like the Jags they just had this spark right and and in 2023 they just always seemed to be looking for it right that they were never the spark that they needed to be that they kept looking for it when I when I think they they really just kind of needed to to be that themselves, if that kind of makes sense. So um, I think this, what happened this year, kind of getting humbled a bit. Uh, well, you hope it, it serves them going forward, right? Just in terms of being more aggressive. We, we know um, that they weren't really aggressive in, in free agency last year. It was just the whole, just uh, 
the whole just building out the depth through the draft and and kind of just working with what they have and continuing that way we saw that that didn't work right and so I think we'll see a bit of a philosophy shift and, and maybe some more aggressiveness in terms of the personnel moves this offseason, and, and we'll kind of see how it shakes from there. Yeah, I agree with you. We better see some of that because they better not stay on pad again, and they can't really because they got a lot of in-house free agents to look at, and we'll talk about those in just a moment. Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com, also the Fox Sports app. He covers the AFC South for Fox Sports. Ben, Mike Caldwell, the D coordinator, was fired. Ryan Nielsen replaces him coming in from Atlanta. Your thoughts on the Jags' new defensive coordinator? Yeah, on, on paper, really love, you know, Ryan Nielsen and, and the job he did in Atlanta. I mean, I know overall, like, the Falcons kind of had their struggles, but it was not on defense. I mean, you look at how he improved uh, that unit, particularly the pass rush. Uh, they doubled their sack production from – uh, 2022 to 2023, and, and I know Nielsen, he'll bring a more aggressive, uh, like, press man uh, scheme to to the Jags as well, and and just the, the total, and going back to his uh, pass rush pedigree, I mean, he, he has a really great reputation and, and uh, resume of, like, developing pass rushers, right, whether it's, uh, or just defensive front guys in general, whether it's uh, DeMario Davis or it's uh, Cam Jordan, uh, the, the work he did with, with the Falcons last year. I think uh, that that's really encouraging uh, for, for Jacksonville when you think of wanting Trayvon Walker to continue to take that next step. And ideally, right, you, you hope Josh Allen is, is still in the fold, and I, I think he will be. But uh, seeing how Nielsen can figure out ways to – to take him to even the, the next level, even after setting the single season uh, sack rep record with uh, 17 and a half. And so uh, I think if you're uh, a Jags fan, I think you should be really excited about the potential of, of what this defense can become, right? A defense that kind of led the Jags for most of the year, but then just kind of fell apart to end the year when you needed them to be at its best. Right. And, and knowing that the defense, the Jags were really a defensive led team for most of the year and they kind of let them down when they needed them most. So I think with bringing a guy, guy like Nielsen in um, just his reputation, his results, not only as a D coordinator, but also a pass rush specialist and, and the aggressive scheme that he's going to this aggressive attacking scheme that I think he brings to Jacksonville. Uh, I think there should be a lot of optimism for his hire. Ben, they're either going to re-sign Josh Allen in the next week and a half or they're going to place the franchise tag on him. There's, to me, no question about that. So that brings us to Calvin Ridley. I think that's the big question. If they franchise Allen and Ridley hits the market on Monday, March the 11th, I guess my question to you, what are you hearing in Indianapolis about Michael Pittman Jr.? You know, there's a T. Higgins question in Cincinnati because if those two guys, Pittman and Higgins, get franchised and that wide receiver free agent room dries up a little bit, that'll make Ridley's value skyrocket and he may get an offer somewhere else he can't refuse. Yeah, that's what I've kind of thought a lot about just with Calvin Ridley. I mean, obviously, I think the Jags would want him back, right? Their leading receiver, he wasn't even on the injury report the entire year, like not even – 
a limited participant, right? Like he participated in all 17 games, thousand yard receiver, seven or eight touchdowns. I can't remember off the top of my head. And, and just all the DPIs he drew and considering that it was really his first year back in like almost two years, considering uh, the suspension of, of course, and, and then the mental health sabbatical he took and to look like that. I mean, just imagine what he could look like in a uh, year or two with Trevor Lawrence and in that offensive system. But, uh, but as you mentioned, uh, it, it's, he could be really, really expensive, right? Because I fully expect Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, to be franchise tagged uh, and just kind of that being in route to an eventual long-term deal for him. I'm not as sure about T Higgins in Cincinnati because I don't follow that team, but it's a very real possibility that Calvin Ridley is the most high profile receiver in free agency. And, and what does that mean? Uh, of course it means his market value is just going to balloon, right? It's going to be, I think it's going to be really, really hard for the Jaguars to, to retain him. And so uh, I, w- I would not be surprised if he's not in Jacksonville in, in 2024. Uh, that's kind of my feel on the situation and where the wide receiver market is trending. Um, I, I think from, from the Jags standpoint, yeah, that, that, I, I think that that hurts, but I think just with the incredible depth in this wide receiver draft class, uh, there's some optimism there and, and you could, maybe find it more of a bargain uh, value addition uh, just in, in the second and third rounds of free agency too, just in terms of wide receiver position. But, but yeah, because that they're probably going to have to, fran- they may just franchise tag Josh Allen. Uh, Calvin really he's, he's going to hit free agency. And, and also just because of the parameters of the deal that sent him to Jacksonville, right? Like if they were to uh, extend him, uh, then they would give the Falcons a second round pick, and obviously don't they don't want that, right? It, it would it, it's it's the best case scenario from a draft capital standpoint for him to just hit free agency. Uh, but then I think at that point he, he could there's I think there's a good chance he prices himself out of the Jag the Jags. A couple of more for Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com, and the Fox Sports app. You know you cover the AFC South, so let's look around the division briefly, Ben. In Nashville, Tennessee, I still can't believe they fired Vrabel. Uh, I know here in Jacksonville, we were kind of celebrating that because Vrabel tended to kill the Jaguars every time he played us. Um, so they bring in Brian Callahan, and what I find particularly amusing, um, if you talk to Nashville media and, and the Titan websites, oh my gosh, Brian Callahan is the greatest hire on planet Earth. He's the next Sean McVay. You will talk to the national guys, and they're – scratching their head like you got rid of Mike Rabel for this guy who didn't even call plays in Cincinnati so where do you fall on the Brian Callahan hire yeah I'm, I'm not really big on, on like kind of the hot hot takes like either way I mean I, I'm more of a let, let's kind of see what happens right because I, I think there are both sides to it right there are very fair reasons to not be all that optimistic about him because uh, he, he doesn't have play calling experience. You, you can argue that he's kind of ridden, you know, rode the, the coattails of the quarterbacks he's been around. And, and then obviously his dad, his coaching pedigree in the NFL and the whole 
nepotism type thing. You, you could say things like that and uh, this, that, and the third. Um, but, but then you look at just kind of the intricate details uh, of his resume, just in terms of how he played a, a really key role in, in constructing offenses to make the quarterbacks he's worked with really, really successful. Uh, I think the biggest testament to that is what he was able to do with Jake Browning, a guy who had been uh, before this last season in the NFL for four years and hadn't played in a regular season game. And he's forced into action because of Joe Burrow's injury and looks like an above, almost an above average starter, uh, just really catering the offense to his strengths, uh, designing the scheme around him. Uh, so that he's comfortable. Brian Callahan played a really, really important role in that. And and even with the high-profile quarterbacks he's worked with, I, you, of course, can't give him credit for the guys he's worked with who, who've become or, or were superstars. He, he, he all of them, or, or a good number of them, have spoken glowingly about the job that uh, he did with them and uh, and, and, and really working with them on, on just the intricate details of the quarterback position. And, and you hear, and just beyond quarterbacks, you hear like a T Higgins or, or other guys just sit, talk so much about how much they love playing for him. Uh, and so uh, I'm really in wait and see mode, Ryan, just, uh, just in terms of what he's going to bring to the table. He obviously has a, a lot of work to do, but, but I think just, uh, some of the first moves he's made, uh, I, I think you have to be encouraged. Like if you're a Titans fan, like the O-line has been the number one Achilles heel for the Titans the last two years. And, and what did he do? He's brought in his father as the O-line coach, arguably the, the best offensive line mind uh, in football. Uh, and, and really created just this uh, system to where they, they could really turn that around, right? And uh, and he's a different personality uh, than Vrabel, and, and the way he carries himself is totally different, and uh, he, he definitely has more of that warm and fuzzy, and, and he doesn't maybe come across as the kind of alpha that Mike Vrabel is, uh, that Mike, yeah, that Mike Vrabel was for, for the Titans, but... Uh, but yeah, I, I we, we've seen coaches with that kind of demeanor be successful. Like when you think of a maybe a Mike McDaniel, uh, what Mike McDaniel has done in 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 Miami or or, or, or things like that, you know. So uh, I'm kind of in wait and see mode uh, with Brian Callahan. Uh, the, the play calling thing, yeah, you, you would like him to have had like play calling experience, but I think the totality. Of his resume, uh, he, he's a guy who's uh, kind of grown up in the NFL, um, and I think there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic, and just the relationship that he already seems to have with uh, general manager Rand Carthon. Uh, I know that they're really, really close, and, and they, they already have a really strong rapport, and so um, I, I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see like what that actually becomes. Um, but I'm 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 just more curious than anything. I think that's the best word I would use. The absolutely crazy thing about the AFC South: Doug Peterson 
is now the elder statesman of head coaches in the division, and he's entering yeah. year three in Jacksonville. Of course, Shane Steichen and D'Amico Ryans will be in year two, and Brian Callahan will be in his first year there with the Tennessee Titans. Ben, leave us with this. I saw you did an article on Trevor Lawrence earlier this week and how that whole dynamic is going to play out with the contract extension possibilities here in Jacksonville. Tell Jaguar fans about your coverage on FoxSports.com and where they can find your work. Yeah, I mean, you, you really just said it right there, Ryan. I mean, people can, uh, all your listeners can, can find my work on FoxSports.com, the Fox Sports app. Uh, if you if you go on the website or the app, uh, you can go to just the personalities page and uh, search my name, uh, Ben Arthur, and, and you hit you hit that, and then all my work um, on the, not only the Jags but of course the other AFC South teams, the the Colts, Texans, Titans. You can find all my work there, um, and and yeah, I, I mean I, I think for my work uh, because I'm not necessarily a beat reporter, a lot of my coverage of the division is geared towards a national audience, right? So uh, whether that's uh, the quarterback talk or the, the talk around the coaches or kind of star players, uh, that's where a lot of my coverage is geared towards. Uh, so, um, but, but yeah, that, that's where people can find my work. And of course on, on Insta on uh, excuse me, on X and uh, Instagram threads, uh, my work is there as well. Ben, know you're busy this time of year. Thank you for taking time out. Let's do it again right after free agency, and we'll kind of see how the AFC South teams fared once free agency arrives. Thank you, my friend. No problem. Thank you. And thank you to my friend Ben Arthur of Fox Sports and the FoxSports.com app for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. It's just interesting in the AFC South, right? Uh, all four teams have pretty compelling storylines going into the offseason. Obviously, Houston, the defending champions, and I know that still will not sit well with people here in Jacksonville, but can Houston avoid what happened to Jacksonville last year, right? Houston's going to have all the expectations going into 2024. Can they live up to those expectations? In Indianapolis, Anthony Richardson returns to the lineup. Obviously, we only got to see a very, very small Small sample size of what he could do. How will the Colts be different with Anthony Richardson back as their starting quarterback? In Tennessee, the Mike Vrabel era is over. The Brian Callahan era commences, and it looks like right now anyway that the Derrick Henry era is likely over in Nashville. We'll have more clarity on that in about two and a half or three weeks, but it'll be a drastically different-looking Tennessee Titan football team than we've used to see in the last uh, seven or eight years, certainly. And then here in Jacksonville, can they pick up the pieces, right? Obviously, there's going to be some overturn on this roster. They got to figure out what on earth happened in the collapse, losing five of the last six to end the 2023 season. And can the Jaguars challenge Houston for that AFC South Division Championship this upcoming football season? Well, that'll just about do it. It has been a very busy Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We're in for blue again tomorrow night. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Ben Arthur, FoxSports.com and the Fox Sports app, the AFC South reporter for Fox Sports. We always appreciate 
Ben's time. Thank you to David Steele, play-by-play voice, long time play-by-play voice of the Orlando Magic. Orlando enters tonight five games above 500 in great position to at least make the play-in tournament. It would be their first playoff appearance in a couple of years, and we certainly appreciate David for taking time out for us this evening. And back in hour number one, Luke Easterling of Athlon Sports and SI.com. Really enjoyed the conversation with Luke Easterling, talking NFL draft. We also obviously talked about the young Jaguar players from Trayvon Walker to Anton Harrison, and uh, Luke gave his thoughts on how their careers will go as we move forward. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Friday to wrap up the week here on Hacker After Dark. Again, in for Baloo from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, and we certainly hope that you join us then. Casey Dobson was in for Dylan Denmark tonight. Casey, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will do it all over again to close out the week tomorrow night on a Friday beginning at 6 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, 1010XL. Baloo for Shenatri Chiropractic. They've helped me get rid of my headaches and pain in my neck and back. Are you suffering from an auto accident? What about TMJ pain? Headaches associated with jaw clenching, grinding of the teeth, or stress-free